0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, and uh, good afternoon, and
1: uh, happy Tuesday to everyone out there. It's uh, Tuesday, it's 1 o'clock here in uh, Southern California, so it's time for us to do Talent Talk. Thank you for everyone for uh, popping on and joining uh, into the show. Really appreciate uh, everyone's uh, kind of activity and and, uh, listening in all year long. We are just ecstatic about how much the show has grown. And uh, really, if this is the first time you're tuning in, you know, the way the show works is I've really you know, developed it to, to be a conversation between me, uh, sometimes more than one, but usually one other person at a time where we have the opportunity to talk about uh, talent and topics that are relevant to to becoming a better person, to being um, your 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 best self, and also how to manage people better. So, instead of me having this opportunity to just ask this really smart person a bunch of great questions, we you know, we my team and I developed this platform so we could let other people listen in, hopefully learn something for themselves that they can take away uh, and and impact their own career in that in that positive way. And then, you know, hopefully then you might also want to interact with us as well at the same time. So if you're listening live, you can send us questions via Twitter uh, right now by using the hashtag Talent Talk. Uh, and send them to at PeopleG2. And my producer, Mike, uh, can try to feed me uh, in some of those questions as well. And, Of course, if you're listening on the podcast or on iTunes or through iHeartRadio, you might be doing it not live, and that's okay. We still love the interaction, and you can still send questions to us and to the guests um, as they go through. Um, We've amassed over uh, over 600,000 of you came in last week and listened to at least one podcast or more. Uh, which is just fantastic. That means there's millions of you every month who are listening to our shows, uh, interacting with us, and we can't be more proud and excited to have so many of you, you know, really involved with the show and and supporting us. So uh, today, my guests will be, um, uh, we'll have. Let's see. Today, Daniel uh, Shart. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sure he'll give me an update. Um, and he's the. Um, CEO of a Greenhouse, and then the second half of the show, we'll have Carrie Barth, Solutions Consultant for HR Technology Outsourcing at uh, the Lockton Companies. So uh, again, if you have any questions, make sure you send them over uh, to us on Twitter, but uh, let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, uh, great to be here.
1: Uh, so, how do we say your last name properly? Because I, I have a habit of messing up everyone's names. So uh, I will just start off with the easy question here. <laughs> I've
2: I've heard I've heard worse. So so don't don't worry about it. Yeah, uh, you're not going to hurt my feelings. But uh, it's actually pronounced Chate.
1: Chate. Okay. So yeah. great. Uh, and, and so tell us everyone about what you're doing over at Greenhouse. You know what, you, what kind of your involvement is as a CEO, and of course what your company does specifically.
2: Yeah. So uh, I, that's a great question. I'm the co-founder and CEO here at Greenhouse. We make software that helps companies do a better job hiring, uh, and that's really in line with our overall mission of just helping companies uh, both create as well as navigate the changing world of work. You know, Greenhouse got our start in 2012 with the basic idea that uh, although most organizations will say that people are their most important asset uh, and that hiring is their most important um, process to get there, that in fact hiring is broken at, 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 at many organizations, and people feel like whether it's the interview process, whether it's not being able to source the right candidates, or wasting money on um, you know advertisements and agencies that don't work, uh, you know all the way to you know missing out on great offers or having you know bad hire that you, you have to get rid of and, and, and the costly and and um, you know d- destructive effects of all that. Uh, you know that that seemed to me like a huge opportunity to try to, to try to help 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 organizations improve and to make people's lives better by being at companies that they can uh, do purposeful work and, uh, and, and, and find meaning in, in that work. So, you know, I'm all about trying to connect people and organizations the right way. And I feel like most companies really struggle to do a, a good job at, at running a, a competent hiring pipeline, uh, to understand how to put their people in the best position to succeed at interviewing, to make good decisions together as teams and to convey to companies or to the candidates just how important they are. Uh, to, you know, and and impress them so that they can choose to work at your organization. So that's a lot of what we work on.
1: So as a uh, software, as a sort of solution for recruiting, really helping companies, optimizing, you know, their hiring, maybe we could start with talking about what you think companies are looking for when they choose to use a platform like yours. You know, where are they specifically looking for the most help, uh, you know, initially? Yep. Uh,
2: So far and away, the thing that companies Uh, Look for greenhouse more than any other one thing that we do is help with the interviewing and hiring process. So, you know, uh, we do a lot of things. I think historically, if you look at our software category of applicant tracking systems, it was kind of seen as a place where you'd uh, have your recruiters log in, keep their resumes organized, try to help the company not get sued. Uh, But it was very much like solving kind of administrative pain points within the, within the recruiting team. And with greenhouse, we really help our customers solve more organizational problems with getting great at hiring. And, you know, if you are to talk to companies about their, their struggles or their pain points around hiring, you hear a lot of them. But I think the most impactful is really at the point of interview, is to say, you know, hundreds or thousands of times per day, uh, people are being asked within your organization to go into a conference room with a total stranger, totally unprepared, and spend an incredibly important hour with that person, and then come away from that hour, with good, useful, unbiased, actionable data that helps the organization make smart decisions that have tremendous impact on the organization's ability to succeed. And most organi- and, and most places just aren't, aren't set up to succeed at that. So by helping companies through our software design a better process, design a better experience for how those interviews are going to take place, and then kind of collect more actionable data from their interviewers to, and, and use it to make smarter hiring decisions, that's probably the number one thing that we're known for.
1: So, you know, one of the things we're starting to hear is that finding better candidates um, is something that companies are struggling with a little bit more. As the talent pool, we have to do a better job of getting people jobs. There's less available talent out there. And maybe still, even with some of the recent changes politically, people might be a little bit less um, likely to want to maybe jump ship or move jobs or stay out of their kind of comfortable bubble. So how do you ensure companies, you know, not only find the best candidate but also find – you know, that can that really fits their organization, not just, you know, a warm body that sort of meets, a you know, the basic criteria, but, you know, going a little bit deeper and finding that true fit. You know, how are you guys able to help them do that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a criti- that's a critical question, right? And finding and, and, you know, fit is one of those words that kind of means everything, but also means nothing. And so if you were to ask most people, like, hey, is it important for you to find people that are a good fit for your company. I think everybody would agree with that. But at the same time, when you ask the next question, which is, what does that mean? And how do you do it? you know, you find a lot of places falling short. And oftentimes that question of fit for the organization can have destructive effects because absent any further clarity on what that means, people tend to fall back on their habits or, you know, implicit biases that we all have can impact the way that, we're, that we make decisions and, and, and help us or hinder our ability to make uh, optimal decisions. So, for example, it's been well documented that, uh, you know, upon meeting somebody for the first time, your sort of type one, you know, lizard brain, uh, you know, men- mentality takes over and makes a snap judgment about what you think about that person within seconds, and then your sort of type two, more like rational brain, that can uh, you know have intentionality and formulate plans and and go through multiple steps to get the outcome, is co-opted to justify that initial snap decision, and that leads to a lot of bad outcomes. And instead, what try to do is prepare people to uh, you know, have that type one judgment is going to happen anyway. You really have no control over it. But to let your type two decision making be much more dominant, and say, okay, you should talk ahead of time before you see the person. Because as soon as you see the person, your lizard brain takes over. Before you see the person, you should you should write down and decide upon what the important criteria are going to be for this hire. Why is why is the best person the, you know going to fit your organization? Is it someone who's a problem solver? Is it someone who brings unique skills or experience to the table? You know, is it someone that has a certain, you know, type of type of personality that's going to lead the organization? or Whatever those things are that you think are important, you write those down ahead of time. And then as you meet people, you sort of ask them all the same set of questions that are meant to understand, not what you initially snap judge that person to be like, but, you know, based on your kind of scorecard, how does this particular person that I'm now meeting line up against what my true needs actually are? And out of a more structured process like that, you end up making much more sound decisions and, and overcoming a lot of the, Implicit bias that we're all subject to. It's just it's just human nature.
1: You know, the subject of that uh, bias has come up a few times, and I've, I've had people kind of argue on both sides. You know, that it's I, I certainly fall in the camp of, of what you were describing, and I've had people say, "Well, it doesn't happen." And I can think of a really um, specific example of a CEO friend of mine found. This one VP kept turning people down. That ultimately, either they saw one on and did great things in other companies, or got hired in other parts of the company and did great. But for whatever reason, this they, they tried to figure it out. And what they figured out was, is he was an SC graduate, and he kept not hiring people from UCLA. I mean, it was just the simplest <laughs> bias that you know, yeah. the, kind of the rivalry between USC and UCLA. That that was pushing him off immediately that they had gone to the wrong school and they were missing out on these great people in this great department and you know it seems like a silly thing to do but people sometimes you know have these things in their head and they just they make these quick decisions and you know they may have gone through the whole process of interviewing someone but if you, if you haven't recognized that you have those bi- you can have those biases that you kind of go through the process a little jaded a bit with a negative approach already and ultimately, and the end's probably already been figured out for you if you're not conscious of it. So it's it's really important, I think, what you're talking about here, but right? being conscious about it and then then looking at a second level or second layer uh, process as well. So it's great advice.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, there's, uh, you know, I don't mean to imply that people are, you know, evil or bad or racist. You know, that that's not really the the, the point of it. And I think people hear the word bias and they and they, you know, sometimes can go straight there, which is not really the point I'm trying to make. Um, but I think there's a really sound and well-proven theoretical and experimental basis for the fact that we all have implicit biases. If you're one of those people that you're referring to who, if if there's a listener out there who who doesn't believe in this, I would strongly urge you to go take an implicit association test. You can go to implicit.harvard.edu, it's online, and you can test it for yourself. It's very easily measurable. And what that means is just that, Human brain is extremely adaptable. It's one of the great strengths of, of the human brain, and it's why what makes large part of what makes us people human. Um, but part of the way that the brain works is it forms these patterns uh, unconsciously, without your without your attention being paid to it, over over lots of experience. And so we learn through our lives to draw some rough examples. Concepts like men are associated with work and women are associated with home. And that's just something that's implicit in the environment that we all, you know, operate in. And whether you agree with that or not, and whether you think that's right or not, it nonetheless is a, is a bias that many of us are exposed to. And so what you what you what you see is that through being exposed repeatedly over our lives to that bias, your brain can't help but but but, but try that on in the type one decision making, in that quick unconscious decision making. And so, you know, I think you know as someone who's trying to make good hires and has a responsibility for the organization to make the, the smartest decision you can about the best person for this company I think you'd be well advised to, to, to follow some of the advice here and say you know it's best for us to try to overcome that device that exists rather than deny that it's there and I think what you'll find is if you do that you'll also in in as in so doing you'll make sounder decisions you'll give your candidates a better experience you'll have fewer false negatives it'll just be overall Mm -hmm. more fundamentally sound process.
1: Well the other thing that you're doing is allowing your brain to have maybe additional um, attempts or access to other bits of data and information I mean one of the other kind of classic examples about our brains that we hear is that there are so many things happening at one time that Brains are actually filtering out most of the stimuli information that we are receiving, or else we we go crazy. We can't handle all of it at one time, and so we're we're focusing on the things we recognize, the things that we want to see, the things maybe we're comfortable with or have seen before, and ignoring the other stuff. And I think to your point, kind of that stage two level of uh, of that evaluation or thinking is really important because give that your, your chance to maybe take in some of those other. Uh, bits of data, other you know things that you didn't see the first time, or should be thinking about. To your point about bringing that list of what is important and looking for the things that should be important instead of just the random bits of, of whatever that may be coming into your to your mind as you maybe you first meet somebody. Um, yeah, it's it's terribly interesting. There's all kinds of great uh, programs and shows. I mean, you've even watching you know, those brain shows on on uh, on TV yeah, that yeah. kind of talk about yeah. all of this stuff. It's really cool. Cool. Uh, I know you've been involved in the te- te- technology market here, so um, we kind of switch gears a little bit. How did you settle on the idea for greenhouse for you know recruiting um, for your most recent venture? You know, what was sort of your you know nudge? How, how did life push you in that direction?
2: Yeah, it's not it's, you know it's not the kind of thing you dream of as a kid, is it? Um, <laughs> um, but I, I'll tell you where I got where I got the passion for this was you know. Um, as you mentioned, I've been, uh, you know, an entrepreneur for quite a while, uh, and in my over over the course of my career, I was fortunate enough that in my, you know, I was I was uh, I was able to see that in building my company, the ability to identify candidates that other companies weren't able to identify and to make smarter decisions about who to hire was a distinct competitive advantage. It was critical to running my business, and so I didn't really have an HR background. But as an entrepreneur, I, I was I was quickly made to realize that if I could do those things better than others, that I would have a unique competitive advantage in building my company. And so, ultimately, that led me into a career in recruiting, and I was, uh, I, you know, having started as, a, as an electrical engineer with a computer science degree, um, I found my way as the, as the global head of HR and, and talent acquisition at a company that I had founded, and I did that for about 10 years. So... I had sort of sat in the seat of both an executive and a founder as well as that of a recruiter and HR person and really worked through a lot of those struggles earlier in my career and also saw some, you know, some of the tremendous benefits that we were able to get by building a world-class organization and by, by being super competitive for, for, for the right type of talent. And so having had that background and having um, sold my company and looking for you know, this opportunity and kind of trying to define what Greenhouse was going to become, It really positioned me, I think, kind of uniquely in a lot of ways because I was having conversations with leaders who were telling me all the right stuff. They were saying, hey, look, you know, I'm trying to build a great company. I really care about people. I want to do this stuff right. But then as I got into further conversations and looked at what was actually happening operationally, what's, what's it like to interview at your company or how do you decide where to look for candidates or to source them? You hear things like you talked about earlier, like, well, I went to UCLA, so that's where we go. And I was just like... Boy, there's got to be a better way. Like that, you know the amount of the amount of folklore, um, you know, in, in, in recruiting is, is staggering, uh, and and I think it, I think it deserves a little bit more science, you know, particularly because as as as, you, as we talked touched on earlier, you know, companies are just so much more about talent than ever before. You know, in in previous generations, it was enough if you had a good factory or if you had you know, um, you know access to some you know, closed market that other people did, you could build a business. But today, any winning business needs first and foremost to be a place where talented people can, can, you know, want to be and where they can do great work. And so you have now an imperative as an organization to be great at people practices, unlike we used to have in, in, in the past. So I think that's why this stuff matters now more than ever. And what really got me excited about the opportunity was saying, like, hey, look, all these people that are saying people, you know, humans are important to their company, they're right. I believe them. And I'm going to help them do that.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think it's really important. We look at the kind of, you know, how do you go deeper conversations. And it sounds like that's what uh, you guys are really focused at doing is looking at going deeper and eliminating some of that surface level stuff. Um, and it's, it's it's kind of fascinating, you know, kind of your path and in, in, in getting there um, to end up in that sort of position to to deliver that kind of service to companies um like you said it's not something maybe you you think about as a kid of course we don't know what we don't know at that level right that's just um race car driver baseball player astronaut i mean there's not a whole lot of other options i guess as a kid unless you see it on tv (laughs) exactly (laughs) um, yeah i
2: heard like doctor lawyer businessman and i faint when i see blood so doctor was straight out Right, right, uh, and lawyer found it boring, and I didn't really know what businessman meant, so I, I was a little bit, I was a little bit lost as a kid in terms of career path, but I, I, I seemed to have figured it out.
1: Yeah. well, I know as a, as a CEO, CEO of an organization, um, you know you also understand the challenges in, of recruiting and maintaining the kind of top talent for your own company. So what do you do with you know really within your own company that you've found to be effective you know, for engagement and, and keeping you know, the best talent around you?
2: It's a really important question because, of course, if you're going to go to the effort and do a great job at hiring and finding the best people, then what the next thing you're going to find is that those people, of course, have lots of career opportunities. If they're if they're if they're not so great, then you know maybe you can trap you know maybe they maybe they're not going to be so actively uh, able to find find other jobs. Um, but one of the one of the obvious effects of having really good people is that, you know, other people will find out about them, and, and they have lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. So you have another obligation as a company once you've decided to go get great people, which is you have to keep giving them a reason to stay here and not go somewhere else. Uh, of course, you have to pay people adequately and, you know, reward good performance and do all these things, but, you know, it's, it's hard to just purely, you know, motivate that type of uh, engagement by, 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 by compensation you know, alone. And so you know, the way I think about it is people really want, you know, a small number of, of of things to go really well in their in their jobs. Of course they want to be feel feel accurately compensated and they want to feel like good performers are are, are, are compensated well at your organization. Um, beyond that people want to feel like a sense of purpose. They want to know why this all matters and why we're doing what we're doing. And so you ask the question as a CEO, what do I do to that? And I think one of the things I've come to learn now in you know from my fifth year of being a CEO at, at Greenhouse Constantly, constantly learning. This is communication, communication, communication. It's uh, it's 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 a full time job for me just to worry about what are we talking about, the the mission of the company, and why the stuff we're doing matters, and what are our goals for the quarter, and how does what you're doing relate to that. Um, and so I spend a tremendous amount of uh, of my of my time and energy, really just thinking about and and, and doing the work of talking to people in the company and talking to the organization as a whole about where we're headed and how we get there. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that becomes increasingly important as you get bigger and bigger because, of course, when you're small, everybody generally knows what's going on and everybody's quite, uh, you know, um, uh, invested in the outcome just by, by the fact that it's a small startup. As you get bigger... Uh, you know, you have to you have to exert more and more energy in trying to keep that going and and, and intensifying that that sort of feeling. And then the other thing is, I think people want to want to look around them and, and understand, you know, what's my relationship around me to the people that I work with. And people want to feel fulfilled by the work relationships that they have. They want to feel like they're able to learn from their colleagues. People feel a great sense of accomplishment being part of a team and uh, doing things together. And so, you know, we work really hard to create a great team environment where people can. Uh, join together, you know, set out a goal, accomplish that goal, and feel good about it, uh, be exposed to new things and new opportunities and so forth.
1: Well, one of our uh, favorite questions to ask our guests um, is about books and, and reading. And, uh, uh, of course, we, we do a blog recap of, of all of our, our guests, and we'll list the book here in case it Someone's listening, they don't have a chance to write it down, but they can always find it at peopleg2.com in the blog section. But is there a book uh, that you're reading or maybe recently read or that you generally suggest that uh, people check out and uh, would be good for, you know, kind of the, what we're talking about today?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the favorite ones, I'm a big nonfiction fan, so um, almost everything I read is, is nonfiction. Um, and uh, and wh- one of my favorites, you know, from, from that I've read recently is a book called Wiser by Cass Sunstein. And really the book answers the, you know, attempts to answer the the basic question of, uh, how can groups make better decisions? And he starts with this kind of puzzle, which is like, you know, you would think that as you add people to a group, they would make better and better decisions because if you know some stuff, if you add a second person, they know some other stuff, the two of you together should make better decisions. But that's not always the case. And it often, often there's like very predictable ways that groups fail to make good decisions, and that to actually make worse decisions than people. But if you think about it a certain way, and if you and if you follow certain ideas of theirs, they point the way towards making much smarter decisions together as a group. So the book is called Wiser by Cass Sunstein, and I found it really uh, really informative, and I learned a lot.
1: Sounds like a fascinating book, and I'm sure uh, many of the people listening would love to check it out. So we'll definitely have them do that. Um, You know, final question, uh, how can people uh, learn more about you, get a hold of you, uh, you know, maybe learn more about uh, Greenhouse? What's the best way for them to do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is greenhouse.io, www.greenhouse.io. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Greenhouse. And my own personal is chate, That's D-H-C like cat, H-A-I-T like Tom. And I'm at dhshate on Twitter and basically dhshate everywhere.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show here today for us, uh, Daniel, and uh, really enjoyed everything you talked about. Hopefully, we have you come back at some point and give us an update uh, on what you're doing over there at Greenhouse. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break with my second guest, uh, Kerry Barth.
3: So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
4: Higher.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, my next guest will be uh, Carrie Barth, Solutions Consultant at uh, the Lockton Companies. Uh, as a reminder, you can tweet us any questions right now live or after the fact by sending them to peopleg 2 Use that hashtag talenttalk, all one word if you can, if you can squeeze that in there. Uh, and don't forget, even though you might find us on iTunes or iHeartRadio, you can also find us at talenttalkradio.com. It's the other direct place uh, on our website uh, to listen to past shows anywhere, any of those different options that work for you. We're happy uh, to have you and join the other uh, people that come in all the time every uh, throughout the year and have uh, interact with our shows. We really appreciate it. So uh, I'll go ahead and grab my next guest here. Uh, Carrie, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your role and, of course, uh, what your company does.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have over 13 years of experience in the HR technology field. Uh, you know, Lockton as a company is a primarily a risk management insurance and employee benefits consulting and retirement services company. And, you know, my role specifically at Lockton is a solutions consultant. I work in our HR tech practice, and we are a bunch of specialized HR technology consultants. Uh, we work with all of the locked-in clients and our prospective clients, and we, we really help our clients in, in ways with evaluating their current HR benefit payroll solutions. We also help them with finding the right partners to help them, you know, in helping them select their HR benefit and payroll software, and then we also really work with them to provide, you know, project management and implementation of those systems.
1: So, you know, maybe we could talk about uh, some of the challenges or how challenging you think it is for companies right now in this day and age, really, to understand the need uh, to update or to upgrade, you know, what they're doing right now from an H- HR technology standpoint. Um, there's, there's, it seems like there's a whole lot that's happened in a short period of time. There's also an incredible amount of choices and options out there that, You know, unless you are a big, giant company and have a lot of resources to maybe uh, have done it, or unless you are hiring someone who has done it a hundred times before, it might be a bit daunting and overwhelming. So can you maybe talk about what some of those challenges are?
4: You know, absolutely. Um, You know, there's over hundreds of HR technology companies out there that are providing technology services. And, you know, for the most part, I would say, you know, companies, HR teams, you know, they really see the value in updating their HR technology. Um, you know, sometimes companies can be challenged by their internal IT or maybe their executive, buy- needs executive buy-in, um, they need support with the financial side of things. Uh, you know, therefore, you know, it's it's important to include these parties in all phases of the conversation and evaluation uh, because, because there are so many different. You know, one of the things I would say is that, you know, companies that are looking at this, you know, they sometimes use an outside party to help, you know, build a case, uh, to help them with an, a situational analysis that provides them current and future state assessments. And something like, you, let's say you go for your annual wellness checkup, that physical checkup, and it's kind of the same thing. You'll you look at your internal HR Systems, you look at your processes you look how you go about doing things um, to see if there's a need you know for improvement there to really justify making a change. you know our firm often says you know it's easiest to stay with your current provider not everybody's always fully utilizing their technology so that might be issue number one and then I you know just recently uh, Chris I was traveling from Los Angeles and I noticed uh, a passenger who was using his you know Apple Watch, as he was, as his boarding pass, as they scanned it to get on the plane. And, you know, of course, being in this HR tech field, um, you know, I really wanted to use my Apple Watch to do the same thing. Um, So I immediately started looking up all the apps on my watch. And for some reason, my airline just didn't have an app that shows up on my phone. And wasn't here until my next flight when I was checking in on the app that I saw that it was called Apple Wallet. So I immediately had to click on my watch on the Apple Wallet on there and, you know, found that, yep, there's a way for me to also use my boarding pass to scan in. So I thought, oh, I'm so super cool right now. I'm going to be able to get on the plane just by using my, my watch. So I put all my documents in my handbag. I'm all prepared. I have the watch queued up, ready to be scanned. I walk up to the attendant. I raise my wrist to be... Scanned and realized that the, the uh, scanning machine is not the same scanning machine at most of these airports. Therefore, I can't, you know, put my watch in there. You know, my <laughs> yeah. whole point of the story is, is that technology is changing all the time. Here I am thinking I'm all super cool, and I'm going to do something with new technology, and now I have to put my bags down. I've got to take my watch off, I've got to, now it's logged out, so I have to enter my passcode, and all these people are looking at me like, hurry up, when I thought, hey, I was pretty cool up until this point here. So, you know, HR technology is changing all the time, you you know, companies out there, they look at the fact, hey, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to do something different, and, you know, there's updates to iPhones, so everything's so mobile enabled now, and, you know, you get updates to that, that might mess up your access, you look at, the fact, Internet Explorer, you know, you access things on your computer, now it has a new version, or your system, you know, somebody's, a vendor's technology, it might operate best on Chrome, but maybe your employer doesn't support Chrome. So, you know, these are just the things that, as you're looking at technology, that, you know, really are can be, be impacts negative or positive potentially.
1: Well, you brought it, you know, it's a great example of, uh, you know, I've, I've been there, I've had that with the, the watch, you know, um, and, and it 's a it 's a really good kind of you know analogy here for you know you can quickly go from hero to zero with technology uh, when one little thing isn 't exactly how you expected it to be, and whether that 's you know the gate attendant having the right scanner or is that the right browser for your platform or mm-hmm. uh, is it the right integration i mean and so th- i think that 's one of the big challenges or fears that people have is if i 'm going to put in this Technology, if I'm going to spend the money and I'm going to make all this happen and I'm going to, you know, drag out the whole company with me, kicking and screaming, it, it better work and it better do what we expect it to do and not fall because of some stupid, you know, thing that you didn't think of. Yep. And so it, it's a it's really important example of what you're talking about. It sounds like that's something that, you, you know, your company can help uh, other companies think about. You know, kind of outside of that fear, if we look at maybe some of what the the positive things are, um, are are there certain things that you think most companies are kind of looking to get out of their technology right now? I mean, do you you kind of find a couple similar buckets of things they're trying to solve?
4: Yeah, I I definitely think so. Um, You know, first, I would like just to somewhat describe, you know, what do we consider to be HR technology in the first place? and. And there's, you know, really several, about five different buckets, and that's going to include, you know, time and attendance types of solutions. There's the talent management bucket, and, you know, that includes five different pillars from recruiting and applicant tracking to learning and performance and compensation in succession. And then you've got your HR payroll bucket, uh, bucket which might be, you know, reporting and analytics or global or things of that nature. And then you've got your Affordable Care Act, so your ACA eligibility tracking and, management and compliance reporting, and then also the the benefits administration side of things. And, you know, that's your online enrollment for employees electing their medical and dental types of plans. And, you know, those can be all kinds of different components from call center to, you know, dashboard analytics and decision support tools. And, um, you know, I would say that, you know, employers want automation. They want ease of use, and they want it to do – what they were shown it could do during a demonstration. Um, I think that's the primary theme we hear across the board with any employer. And then from there, you know, there's a whole list of other specifics that organizations are, you know, looking for to gain. Uh, I also think, you know, when, when you're implementing new HR technology, it's like, you know, building a new house. You know, we've all lived in houses our entire life, but when it comes to building one that It's much more complex. You know, there's just lots of steps along the way. I'm currently right now building a house, and we're about halfway through, and, you know, there's things I really love about it. I like picking out countertops and flooring appliances. You know, I would compare this to what companies are looking for with really neat user interfaces, and they're looking at how does the employee self-service features work uh, with HR technology. Uh, Here just, you know, last week I was – really feeling overwhelmed with the whole building process. We had our framers, painters, we had HVAC, electricians, we had plumbers. They're all out there working at the same time and, you know, I was talking to my husband and telling him, I'm getting kind of worried. This is, you know, getting a little overwhelming. And, you know, he doesn't have all the answers. And so he's like, you know, we really need to call our builder. Um, I would compare, you know, him, the builder, to one of our lock in HR tech project managers you know, they're really the folks that answer questions. They're answering the concerns. They're telling you and they're filtering the data so that makes sense. Um, they're going to tell you what's coming up next when you're going through a, a vendor um, implementation. They're going to tell you what needs to happen, and they're really going to tell you about wh- what's, what's going to happen. And really I think the whole purpose of that is to make it easier of a transition they have the expertise. You know, the build. My builder has expertise. You know, folks that do implementations for uh, technology. You know, they have expertise. Clients just don't know what they don't know. Businesses don't know what they don't know. There's a lot of information out there. It can get confusing, and it just keeps those bumps of the road at a minimum. Um, you know, I think about you know building a house. If something goes wrong and something goes in the wrong spot, that's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us time. Same thing in an implementation of HR technology. Something doesn't go right. It's going to cost the employer. It's going to cost time, and, you know, just things like that. So definitely lots of moving parts that need to be managed well.
1: Yeah, there's so many different things in the process and, uh, you know, kind of really giving some good light and, uh, to where this can kind of happen in lots of different areas, but certainly with, within those different functions of HR. There, there are certainly, if we go look even a little deeper, there are kind of standard functions that they could be looking for to have outsource. Uh, and then there can be, you know, maybe more creative things. So do you think that these kind of fall into that more wider range standard category? You, you mentioned a, a few of the different areas, uh, kind of those different buckets in there. So. Are we trying to take standard processes that are relatively predictable as far as at least how they are are, are used, maybe not uh, you know the people involved, but certainly those the general processes. Is that what we're looking to to kind of have a biggest benefit in the HR functions area?
4: Yeah, I mean, when you look at a, a project um, from beginning to end of what a company is looking for from an evaluation standpoint and what they're needing in a vendor, You look at what are really um, critical factors that are important to them and how do you rank all of those and the vendors and what their capabilities are. And then you look at the fact of, okay, you've come to a decision point that this is a vendor, you know, this client wants to go with, and now you've got this implementation process. Now, there's definitely, I think, some things that you can do to help better, you know, best practices, from a project management standpoint, but also from um, knowing how to do these over and over again um, that can be applied when doing implementation. You know, before you even make your final decision and you you go through an implementation process, for example, there's a contract phase. And, you know, that's just one component of making that change. Um, You know, really having some expertise of being able to look at a contract from the standpoint of how does this apply to the world of HR technology? You know, what is a best practice and an industry standard for service level agreements? What is an industry standard when it comes to your limitations of liability? Um, Those are things that, you know, I think are some of the, when you talk about standardizations, that can be applied um, when looking at these different areas. Um, Of course, that doesn't always apply to everything. You know, there's, certain components like the Affordable Care Act, we just, you know, you, I just, there's a few things that we see that differ from other areas within HR technology.
1: So, you know, you, you've, you've had this um, kind of span of time, I think it's 12 years you've been in, in the HR technology industry, and uh, I'm sure like uh, most of us who've kind of been in and around the industry, we've seen quite a bit of changes um, in that time. So maybe what are some of the biggest changes that you've uh, really seen happen and, um, that really have made uh, employers start to create, you know, new ways to, to work or, or, or really have impacted, you know, kind of the, the overarching topic here of what we're talking about today?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely been a shift from the employer functionality to more of the employee functionality that's um, become more important. You know, previously it was really about all about ad- better access, the data, better reporting for the employer and those kind of main power users who had administrative rights and roles within the system, that, that's what they were looking for. Now it's really shifted. You know, employers, it's all, they're asking for, it's all about the employee experience. They're wanting to know, you know, how do they access their data for the employees? How do they access it? What technology helps them to make these decisions? What types of mobile technology are out there? to assist employees. I think one of the best examples in this area that we're seeing more and more of is the benefit enrollment area and some of the decision support tools that are out there where um, employees used to have to, like, click on a button and it would take them to, a, you know, find your provider and it would take them to an outside site, which would be a separate link, and then the employees would have to figure out how to come back into the enrollment technology in order to continue their election process of their benefits. Now there's technology out there that is offering what I would call more automated voice types of support. There's also technology that, from a decision support standpoint, that allows for employees to plug in things specific to them. You can think about it as somewhat as a knockout type of question, um, something like you might see in the applicant tracking side of things now is in the benefit side. So employees can list out Here's my provider. This is my carrier or my doctor. This is who I go to. Um, you can put in things such as current um, conditions the employees have. They can put in information about their medications, um, how many times they have to see the doctor a year, and at the end of these types of questions, now the employee has a recommendation that is the best benefit plan that their employer offers for them to meet their needs and. I think that there's a lot of future opportunity in this area, too, um, that we'll see coming down the road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been so many changes in just, like, the last 10, 12 years. I can't wait to see what happens the next 10 or 12, if it's anything like we've seen. Um, You know, technology uh, and and really the innovations there has a big uh, part of that um, and certainly how – how government impacts things, um, you know what, where different programs and things are happening certainly has an impact. You mentioned the Affordable Care Act; that had a huge impact on on businesses and, and HR and everything. Um, but it's just all fascinating to see how it's all going to come together. And it sounds like uh, your company could definitely be a part of that uh, process if people are uh, interested and they need help uh, in, in deciphering that. Um, so, you know, how can uh, people uh, get a hold of you or find out more about uh, the Lockton Companies?
4: Absolutely. Um, they can reach out by, our, by my email or phone. Um, my email is cbarth, at C-B-A-R-T-H, at Lockton.com, or my office number, 816-751-2302. Lockton also has an HR technology blog that um, people can subscribe to. It's LocktonHRTechBlog.com. Or we also just have our website, which is lockedin.com.
1: Well, it sounds like a lot of great resources. Um, Kara, really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing with us everything uh, that you're doing and how you're helping uh, HR uh, be better with their technology. So uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point on the show. But, uh, again, thank you for being here.
4: Chris, thanks for having me today. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show. That's another one uh, all wrapped up. Hopefully you gained something that will help you in your own career in a positive way. Uh, Next week, my guests will include Cynthia um, Hisks, uh, C-H-R-O of cars.com, and uh, Bob Keller, uh, founder and president of the Employee Engagement Group. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.